Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Church, let's turn to Galatians for the, the teaching of the scriptures today. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And we'll turn to 3.24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. By now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Pastor Chris. Amen. Good job, Sal. I love you, Sal. You're amazing. Canaan, I love the keys. Thank you for being up there. Um, and I love all of you. Um, I, I think we just got all of our cry out. That was moving. I didn't cry. You were crying. Um, no, but it's, there's something about lifelong relationships. And uh, I just remember uh, Shane and I, I mean, when we first met, I was seven. He was six. And uh, I, I can't remember if he threw me through a wall or I threw him through a wall, but that bonded us together for life. It's, you know, it's weird. I remember Nate. Nate and I would go out with a bunch of guys, and he would get us into trouble. And I'm, I can't get into the details of the story, but guys with bats would chase us, and it was totally Nate's fault. So anyways, um, that bonded us together. It's amazing. And I love what Nate said. Um, our best, even though he's 45, I'm 45, our best days are in front of us as a community, as a church. And you can have lifelong relationships. And I believe that. And so there's something special here today. And so I want to thank all of you for, well, all of you came up and shared. I want to thank you for, for doing that, sharing your heart. That was, that was powerful. And everyone said Amen. All right, you know the drill. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, tell him you love him, you like him. Come on, somebody. God is good. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, man, come on, go Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> you, you, that, you, you, you don't hurt my feelings at all. I'm not intimidated. All right. If you like the Cowboys, turn to your other neighbor and say, or excuse me, the Broncos, say, come on, go Broncos. Boise State Broncos. Boise State. Boise State. Boise State. All right. I got dad brain here. I got seven kids. Can you believe that? It's amazing. So I'm going to do my best to, this is going to be a miracle. How many believe in miracles? This is going to be a miracle message I got. Just a few minutes to share what God's put on my heart. But let's begin. Three and a half centuries before the life of Jesus, 20,000 migrants traveled from Europe, the Danube Basin, crossing through the Hellspont 
they entered into Asia Minor. Eventually, three tribes, everyone say three tribes. Three tribes were hired by King Nicomedes as mercenaries, and they were savage. This tribal conglomerate of mercenaries settled in this barren land. There was no topogra- it was not topographically sublime. This land was, was barren. Uh, it was desolate. Uh, it's what we would call now modern-day Turkey. And they settled in this barren land in order to launch raids on neighboring kingdoms. One historian uh, notes, the land around them was celebrated for its wealth and talents of celebrity chefs. This land was called Galatia. And the Romans eventually called the European tribes the Gauls. One scholar, I love this, describes the Gauls and their physical features. And he says of them, the Gauls, the men were tall, red-haired, so they were obviously extremely handsome. They were tall. There's a weird rumor going around this circulating in this church. I think I got to address it. This is, you know, we just got to deal with family stuff here today. That I'm only 5'11". I am 5'11 and three quarters. So, be warned, heretics. Be warned. (laughs) But the men were, like, what am I even talking about? The men were tall, red-haired, And they were prone to fighting, and we'll kind of keep this PG, in the nude. The Galatians, or the Gauls, had made their living out of their talent for inspiring terror. Chieftains were known for their cruelty as they offered prisoners as sacrifices to the gods. The land, or the Galatian region, was ravaged by violence and bloodthirst. Even before the arrival of the Gauls, This particular region, according to one scholar, had been notorious for the savagery of its inhabitants, the potency of its witches, and the vengefulness of its gods. This wild land was inhabited by ferocious gods who would kill or inflict pain without justification or provocation. The gods were angry, and so were the people, and the prophets, and the witches. Sounds a lot like California. Anyways, Chris, you're a pastor. Come on. Before I move on, I could not wait to say that. I love just, I love California. If you're from California, we bless you. We love you. There's a lesson here for all of us before I move on and talk about the Galatians and our our teaching text here today. One of the primary laws of human life is that you become what you worship. For example, you will often find that the Israelite prophets called God's people stiff-necked. You read scripture, you see that. You're like, well, why did they do that? Well, one of the reasons is because stiff-necked is what a bull or a cow looks like. And if you're a rancher like me, you would know this, right? Well, why is this important? Well, um, the bull was the totem animal for Baal worship. So essentially, the the prophets were not saying, you look like a cow, right? What they were saying is, you are taking on the characteristics of the gods you are worshiping. In other words, you're stiff-necked because you are acting like Baal, and his violent character is becoming your character. But not only do you become like the God you worship, you also reflect a release back into the world what you worship. One scholar puts it this way. When you worship money, you define yourself by it, and then you treat people not as human. 
You treat them as creditors or reduce them as creditors, debtors, partners, customers. When you worship power, right, you treat everyone as a competitor. Life becomes a, a game. The ends justify the means. And then you start cheating on Monopoly like my wife. Let's move on. I'm kidding. I, I'm not the cheater. Tracy's the cheater. My whole family cheats at games. I am totally, totally wholesome when it comes to playing board games. Okay. When you worship, I'm getting so much trash talk right now. Front row, be quiet. Okay. I'm going to get, man, it's going to be a hard afternoon for me. Uh, this is, or excuse me, when you worship sex, people are reduced to objects, right? Things and are treated with contempt. Don't you dare tell me that, ah, oh, we live in the modern Western world. We live in a secularized society, so we don't worship anything. That is absolutely false. Everyone worships something, and whatever you worship, you are defined by it, and whatever you are defined by, you become like what you worship, and not only do you become like what you worship, you reflect that back into the world. Anyways, this is Galatia. The people are violent and savage because this is how they see the gods that they worship. I think one scholar, he said this, what you exhale is the result of what you inhale. You inhale a vision of a particular God, you will exhale that out. They're inextricably connected. How you see the world, how you see yourself, how you see the gods, how you see God, whatever, whatever your religion is, will be reflected and instantiated in your everyday life. Perhaps, and this is just kind of a side note, perhaps when Paul wrote to the Galatian converts, he was pointing out in a humorous way the violent legacy of the Galatians when he reminded them that they would have torn out their eyes when they first met him. Who says something like that? Well, I think Paul was saying, hey guys, you guys are crazy, right? This is Galatia. This, these are the Galatians. However, centuries passed and the Galatians and the Gauls assimilated the Roman Empire. They became more cosmopolitan, maybe a little less violent. They were still violent, but most likely they turned out to be Raiders fans. What historians know, I don't care if you like that joke or not, what historians know is that they substituted their old gods for a new one, the imperial cult. The imperial cult, we can't get into it today, was energized by, by winning, conquering, ruling, swagger, and insanity, absolute insanity. No wonder then when we come to our teaching text here today, when Paul announced that the true son of God who reigns over space and time was crucified like a state criminal or even worse, a slave, that it sent shock waves throughout this blood-soaked land. The gods did not act that way. What we take for granted here today that God loves us was a scandal back then. The crucifixion of a God who gave himself for a people who were not his people is incomprehensible for a pagan, not just for the Galatians, but for the entire ancient world or the ancient Near East, at least. That Paul never tried to downplay crucifixion is absolutely amazing or even try to cover it up because it points us straight into the character of the one true God, as bloodthirsty and petty and vengeful as the pagan gods were, Jesus of Nazareth was even more intense, but in a different way. 
He was the God of utter self-giving love who gave his blood for a land drenched and soaked in the blood of paganism. Please hear me. You, you saw Jesus for the people. We talk about Jesus for, for the people all the time. Behind that is this profound historical, not just some abstract theological concept, but this historical reality that God, the true God, is the God of utter self-emptying, self-giving love who gave his life for you and I. The dizzying paradox did not simply transform Galatia. It ushered in a brand new age, turning this present world upside down, inside out, right side up, whatever you, however you want to say it. And when Paul wrote to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. And then later on in his letter to the Galatians in chapter six, if you're curious, that he's crucified to the world he essentially was saying that the map of the cosmos was entirely redrawn around Jesus, who now is at the center of all things. Or I can say it better. Paul is saying that through the crucifixion of Jesus, who gave his life as an act of utter self-giving love, that the old space-time universe shaped by savagery, violence, child sacrifice, we go on and on and on, evil and sin and things we can't even imagine, that that old space-time universe was torn apart, obliterated at the foot of the cross. Can I get an amen? amen. And it's at the foot of the cross that the God who loved us and gave himself for us took all the sin and the savagery of the world into himself. And he held on to it. And he never let it go. Come on, somebody. And he exhausted its power. He transformed it. And then he released life and blessing to the world. That is the God we serve. So the question that we have to answer, I mean, we could take a whole sermon series, teaching series to flesh this out and, and answer this, this question, but what does love look like? I love uh, one definition by one author. He said, love has a drenching about it, a wildness about it, a whitewater riptide turn you upside down about it. Love comes for you every single day, irrespective of how you think about yourself or whatever situation you find yourself, love follows and comes after you. I love the desert uh, uh, fathers and their prayer. This is, what, this is so, so powerful and it describes God's love for us. Lord, I have crawled across the barrenness to you with an empty cup. If only I had known you better, I would have come running with a bucket. I think one of the problems of the modern day church is that we have so low expectations of what God can do, not just on a Sunday morning, but what God can do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, in and through our lives. But man, as a pastor and over the next 35 years, I think one of the things I'm going to do and get out of all of us, because I think we've inhaled it for too long, is this idea that God is so far and so distant, so uninvolved in our life. It's this Epicurean idea, which we have transmogrified or we have adopted into our Christian understanding of who God is. It's absolutely false. God is with us. God loves us. God is here right now. He is alive and he is well. 
and he loves you with an everlasting love. So I want to speak to those right now within this big framework of God who has given himself for every single person in this room. I want to speak to those of you who are struggling with a particular sin and you just you feel discouraged today. There's hope. I want to speak to those who, man, you, you have an addiction. We can be honest, a lot, of us, a lot of us have addictions. I have an addiction to the Dallas Cowboys. Please pray for me. But I want to speak to those who have addictions, profound addictions. You've been trying and trying and trying to get through or to defeat or whatever, to, 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 to stop being addicted to whatever you're addicted to and you feel discouraged. I want to speak to those who are suffering here today. You haven't even told anybody. Suffering in your mind, dealing with anxiety, depression, despair, or suffering in your physical body and you don't feel well. I can relate to that. And everything that you're going through in this present moment, it seems so big as your pastor who was forced to come to this church at the age of seven. <laughs> and my mama would tell me every single day, you're going to be a pastor and a preacher. And I said, no, I ain't. I'm going to, once I, you know, once I turn 18, I'm out of here, right? And God has a sense of humor. <laughs> but I'm here now as your pastor. And I just want to say, no matter how big your problem is right now, God's love is bigger. No matter how big, no matter how great, no matter how impossible your situation is, the good news is that God always has the last word over you. And the last word is not annihilation. The last word is not death. The last word is, oh, you're 65 and so you're over the hill. It's all sadness from here. Sorry. No, God's word is always love. God's word, his last word is always healing. His last word is always restoration and hope and renewal. Come on, somebody. Today, if you believe it, he has buckets of love for you. Man, but we take it for granted. We take it for granted. We don't understand how radical God's love is. So as we close, what does this all mean? Paul declares in Galatians chapter one, he says this, it goes, grace to you, peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins and delivered us from this present age. First, Paul is not saying to the Galatians here that Jesus had rescued them and now they could simply wait for heaven, right? Some disembodied, non-temporal space. Paul also is not saying that Jesus has rescued us from this world, um, so this world is irrelevant, so let's build a commune, right? Let's make some sandals and let's make sure our kids look like the children of the corn. <laughs> let's make sure we're as weird as possible, right? That's not what Paul is saying. For Paul, the entire fabric of reality and things had been forever ruptured by God the Father, Jesus the Son, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, a new people have been created. Yeah. What is the fabric of things, right? The fabric of things is everything from paganism 
child sacrifice, the commodification of souls that we find in the Western world, the idealization of race, which breeds division. All of that is part of the old space-time universe. Jesus, through his death at the foot of the cross, through his utter self-givingness, defeated it all and ushered in an age of blessing and hope and renewal and life. No, and victory. See, the problem of the old world was this radical division of people. You see, God always wanted just one family instead of 50,000 different families. You see, what sin does, it creates division. Social division, hierarchical division. In the ancient world, there's a sharp verticality between the aristocracy and then everybody else. There was no such thing as the middle class. You had a few people at the top who had money, and then it was the rest of everybody else. Jesus, through his death and his bodily resurrection, obliterated all of that. So when we say, in Christ, we can now say we are one big transnational, multi-ethnic family formed around the utter self-giving love demonstrated on the cross. So what does this, Chris, this new creation look like? You talk about crucifixion, then you talk about creating a new family. What is, man, what is all this stuff about? I, I, I realize in 2020, in 2021, and I say this with all respect, maybe a little disrespect, but mostly respect. <laughs> Guys, I don't, my brain. We, we have a lot of knowledge, but we don't have a lot of wisdom. People, we, we know I mean, Wikipedia, and I mean, we just access the information, we glut it. And we're just, we're just consumers of information, and we think we know everything. And I've realized there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. I love, I love this kind of like metaphor for the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, I just heard this recently, is like fruit. Wisdom knows not to put the fruit in the salad. No? Some of you are still trying to figure that one out. Okay. You don't put fruit in salad, right? There's a difference. And <laughs> come back to me. Come on. Come back to me. I lost you. You're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> so what's the knowledge-wisdom divide in 2020 and 2021? Well, I think it's this new neo-pagan uh, division that re-emerged. We, the, the narrative that we were told is that you're either a neo-cultural Marxist or you're a racist. These wicked cosmic powers... These spiritual beings created this divisive narrative that you're either a racist or a Marxist. And I just like to say, can we be neither? No? I, man, let me just say this. I, Chuck, Cole said, Chuck Colson said this a long time ago. There's a difference between Christianity and every other religion. I want to make it very strong. Secular religion. He said Christianity is propositional and every other religion is inquisitional. What does that mean? Now, Christianity has never been perfect. I get this. But at the best of Christianity, and we trace it all the way back to Jesus, love or Christianity is propositional, which means that God never forces you to do anything. 
You could do otherwise. Now there's one, one thing that God cannot do. God cannot give you life and joy outside of himself. But he will allow you to choose otherwise, right? So by, by saying propositional, we're not, we're not like all oh, propositional logic and we're going back to philosophy class and we've got to break down deductive stuff and all that kind of stuff, language games. What I'm saying by propositional is that God comes to us and he invites us to be a part of his kingdom. He never forces us to be a part of his kingdom. He welcomes us into his kingdom. He wants partners in his kingdom. He wants to bless people as he brings them into his kingdom. That is the heart of Christianity. The Holy Spirit will come to you and never force you to do anything. All these other secular religions, and I'm not going to break it down here today, they're inquisitional in that they tell you you have to convert or die. Or We'll say it this way, convert or you'll be canceled. And I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not trying to be political because I'm just, if you think, oh man, this pastor's being political and you're going to leave the church, please, that's just not me. You, you don't know my heart, right? What I'm trying to say is, man, we got to exercise some wisdom. Understand the heart of Christianity is that God is the God of utter self-emptying, self-giving love who comes and propositions us in a way by saying, I welcome you to be a part of my kingdom and my way. He never forces us to be partners with him. He never says, okay, come and be a part of my kingdom. If not, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to ridicule you. No, that's not the heart of Christianity. And if there are Christians who are doing that, we will, in love not cancel you. We in love, we will come and we will talk you through that. Can I get an amen? amen. In a very healthy, little bit angry way, but it, let's just. So why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about Marxism in church? Well, Marxism is not just the, the, the neo Marxist movement with all of its different umbrella branches and all that kind of stuff. It's not a, just a political movement. It is a religious movement. And they have their own totems. They have their own Eucharist. They have their own sense of redemption. They've reduced humans to just power machines, right? And they're after the soul of this nation. That's not who we are. But we're also, and this is just self-evident, we're also not racist. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? And I'm going to get to this point here really quick. God makes it very clear. The New Testament emphasizes this over and over and over. We find this in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 8. When, when we go to heaven and we see heaven and this throng of people, we find people from every tongue, every nation, every tribe singing hallelujah to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. The kingdom of God is not a one big monolith. It's not sameness. It's a beautiful diversity that comes under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you like this? So, as we close... What, how, how do we think of new creation? How do we think of where we're at in our, our cultural moment? How do we tie that to the crucifixion of Jesus? Well, 
what we find in the book of Galatians is that through the loving death of Jesus, the defining character, character of God's kingdom or new creation is no longer based on boundaries, social boundaries. Rather, it is based on, in the words of one scholar, the bountiful grace of God. Galatians, as Sal read, and we, we're going to close here. Galatians 3.28 says, No longer is there slave or free, male or female. You are all one in the Messiah, Jesus. God's people are no longer defined ethnically, but messianically. What matters is not ethnicity, gender, but being in Christ. Being in Christ. Gender, tribe, as and I'm trying to keep this according to the, just the Galatian context here, ethnicity, social status are no longer the basis of belonging to Jesus. Now let me make this very clear because I, I don't want any emails this week. Um, differences or distinctions are not erased in the kingdom of God. Jewish people are still Jewish. Gentiles are still Gentile. Men are still men. Women are still women. Let me, Paul is not advocating for, oh, we're now a, a, a new humanity, right? We're now all, we're all going to turn into hermaphrodites or um, we're all going to give into this Gnostic religion. This is not, what we're experiencing today is not new. This is an old thing. But this Gnostic religion of this radical divorce between my body and my person. Paul is not, and I say this respectfully, and I love everyone in this room, I'm just saying that's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying, what matters when it comes to the kingdom of God is grace, not race. Everything, everything, everyone say everything. Everything is even at the foot of the cross. Everything is even at the foot of the cross. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are located in him. You've got to start thinking of yourself in a messianic way. Not that you're the Messiah, please hear what I'm saying. But that you're located in him, right? You're no longer located in sin and death and shame and ridicule in the old space-time universe. You're located in the future, people. You're located in a brand new kingdom that's lavish with love and blessing and provision. Do you believe that? Right, you have a new zip code. Come on, somebody. You were in that zip code. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. But you were in one zip code, and God, you moved because of the achievements of Jesus into a completely different neighborhood, right? And you are a brand new person. And so the Spirit of God is now available to you. You are a son. You are a daughter. Well, I don't feel that way. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't feel like I'm a son or daughter. I've been baptized. You know, I put my faith in Christ. I do all that kind of stuff. And Chris, it just seems like a lot of days, man, it's just a struggle. And uh, I would say, man, that's spiritual warfare. And I want to be sensitive to that. And we all experience that. Can I get a hearty amen? amen. If that's you, you're not alone, man. Following Jesus is a fight. You've got to fight for who you are. But I love Martin Luther. He said this. He's an old, old reformer about 500, a little over 500 years ago in his commentary in Galatians. He said this, true Christian righteousness is the righteousness of Christ who lives in us. We must look away from our own person, Christ, and my conscience must become one 
so that I can see nothing else but Christ crucified and raised from the dead for me. If I keep looking at myself, I'm gone. If we lose sight of Christ and begin to consider our past, we simply go to pieces. We must turn our eyes to Christ crucified and believe with all of our heart that he is our life. For Christ in whom we live is Lord over the law, sin, death, and all evil. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? So what does that mean right now as we close? The God of utter self-giving love. How does that affect me, Chris? Well, Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, and let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. My wife and I have been praying over you this week and, and my wife really felt by the Holy Spirit that there are many of you here today, you feel weary and discouraged and you've been trying and trying and trying whether it be following Jesus or you're just in a very hard season and uh, you're getting to the point where you feel like you're just going to give up and we've been praying for you that God will give you fresh courage. Why can you have fresh courage? Why can you continue when you feel like you can't go any further? Well, because you serve a God who loves you with all of himself. You serve the God who was crucified and adopted you as a son and daughter, and you belong in the kingdom of God. And the last word over you is God's love. So if you're tired, weary, discouraged, disheartened, we pray right now that the life of the Holy Spirit would come to every heart and mind and lift off discouragement, lift off weariness, lift off even depression in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are alive. Everyone say alive. You are alive and well. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are at work right now in this room, this moment at 1248, June whatever, 2021. I think that's the year we're in. Father, I thank you that you are moving right now. Some of you, what does this mean? Well, Galatians 5, uh, verse 15, Paul says, because of the crucifixion of Jesus, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe Maybe you've been gossiping. Maybe you've been talking about people. Maybe you've just been negative. Maybe you've been ridiculing, shaming, whatever. I just like to say with much respect, much love, no condemnation, that because God loves you, we have a responsibility to love people that we don't even like. And so I say this as your pastor. This is like a, just a little healthy rebuke. If there's gossip, if there's devouring, if there's hateful words, Let's change our words. Let's use words that build each other up, not tear each other down. What does this also mean? Paul tells us, Galatians chapter 4. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer, no longer a slave, but a son and daughter of God the Father. I'm going to pray right now as your eyes are closed that God will give you a revelation, a fresh revelation of his love. You see, we can't, we can't reach this world if we forget how much God loves us. I think daily we need fresh insight into this scandalous love 
of, of a God dying on a cross for ungodly people, all of us. We should never take this for granted. Can I get an amen, church? And I just ask right now as our eyes are closed that you would flood by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would flood our hearts and our spirit with your inconquerable love in Jesus' name. And finally, I love what Paul says, because you're a son and daughter, the Spirit is supplied to you. And as the Spirit is supplied to you in your life, that's when God does miracles. Go ahead and look at me. My wife and I have made a decision for the next 40, can you believe, or can you believe with us that we're gonna pastor for the next 45 years? I'm gonna preach till I'm 88. That's my goal. I might have to sit, but I'm gonna preach till I'm 88, right? But for the next 45 years, I promise you, we are gonna contend for the miraculous. I know some people get offended. I know maybe some people have had bad experiences. Maybe some people have experienced maybe the abuse of, of the miraculous and the spiritual gifts. That's okay, but I promise you, you are in a healthy church. We're not gonna get weird on you, but we also believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is alive and he is well. And we should expect God's provision. We should expect God's healing. We should expect God to do the miraculous. We should expect that God could change our lives. We should expect. We should. We should. We're believers. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord of all. We sang as you're standing, and I'm done here. We sang earlier the song, and what, what was it, the bridge? It said, a house of miracles? Is that what it is? Is it the bridge? We are going to be a house of miracles, and we're going to contend for it. We are not going to be a people with low expectations that come on a Sunday and then just kind of leave and just barbecue and watch the Cowboys lose, okay? I hate those Sundays, guys. We are going to be, be a people that have a big appetite for God's presence. His kingdom and his power. So if you want to be that kind of person, raise your hand right now. Father, I pray for this community as we close. I know people can get weird about this. We're not going to get weird about it. But we believe that, God, you heal today. I thank you two weeks ago that there was a woman in the middle of worship who had uh, issues, pain in her hand for hands, but I think both hands, for a long time. And in the middle of worship, the pain instantly left. I don't know what you can call that coincidence. I, I call that a miracle. I can, I can tell you story after story after story of people just coming in and worshiping and the presence of God coming and healing people of back, 
back issues, chronic pain issues. If you have a back issue, I just feel like I need to pray for backs this morning. I don't know why, but if you have a back issue, maybe a chronic pain, maybe a dis issue. Can you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. Anyone like that? Wow, many of you. Father, I pray for those who are raising their hands. I thank you. We don't have to work ourselves up in faith as we lift up our hands. We just receive. We just believe that, God, you can heal our backs right now. Holy Spirit, you're healing backs. Some of you have been dealing with back issues for a long time. We declare the healing power of Jesus to be released right now. Right now. Right now. We thank you for complete healing. In your name we pray. And everyone said, we're contenders. We're contenders. We're believers. Come on, somebody. We're all a part of the same family. Let me just say this. My dad's behind me. He's saying, basically, let's get this show on the road. But let me just end with this. Some of you think that only the pastors are blessed. They hear from God and they get healed or whatever. No, 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 no. If you are a son and daughter and you are in Christ through baptism, faith, the spirit has been given to you. There's no weird hierarchy in the kingdom of God. You are a son and daughter, and you can expect and believe that God is alive and well in your life. And so we thank you, Jesus, for this message. Imprint it on our heart. I bless every son and daughter. I thank you. This Sunday's launching a new season in our church. I thank you. I know I'm going, but Nate said it. The best is yet to come. We've had good years in the past. We've had great friendships in the past. We've seen wonderful miracles in the past. We've seen thousands of people saved in the past. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of people healed in the past. But it's just getting started. And everyone said... Amen. Give God a hand today. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.